Welcome to Riding the Big Wheel. I'm your host, Michelle Seeger, and today we're talking with Bailey Beacon, president and founder of Validated Learnings, an events management company that connects people to advance brands, businesses, partnerships, and careers. Our discussion today is about identifying patterns and connecting the dots. We'll also talk about Bailey's transition from corporate to business ownership and how curiosity, innovation, and passion make a difference in your work. Finally, I am very much looking forward to talking to her about our senior community in the United States today, as uh, the events company that she has is the leader in senior living. She has her pulse on what's happening and has great insight for us all. It's going to be a great conversation that I know will give you inspiration in your own personal and professional journey of life. So grab your coffee, your drink of choice, I'd love to join you on your commute today, your run, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, and let's get started. So today I'm talking with Bailey Beacon, president and founder of Validated Learnings, an events management company. Bailey is what I would call a super connector in business and well, a whole lot more as you'll see in our talk today. She knows how to see patterns in work and life and really knows how to connect the dots. And that is what we're gonna be talking about today. Welcome Bailey. Thank you, Michelle. It's such a pleasure to be here. I, I really, I'm honored that you asked. And so I'm glad, so glad to be here. Oh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. So Bailey, as we get started, I would just love for you to talk to everyone a little bit about your background um, and what you do in your work. Sure. Um, I'm going to start kind of forward, which is what Validated Learnings does as an event um, or trade show or conference producer. So um, the company and what I've done for many, many years, um, when I've had my own companies, although I've worked in corporate settings as well, this is my third company, um, is um, we actually put up the money, so to speak, mm -hmm. to um, when we find what we believe is a buyer and seller environment in B2B. And, um, you know, we put all the, 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 you know, investment into that and try and bring those people together and we win or lose. Right. And, and I, and we love our communities, but at the end of the day, from a revenues perspective, it, th that we're not just taking clients and they're paying us. That's actually doesn't, you know, we're, we're risking, you know, quite a bit to be able to mm -hmm. see whether we can get both, both sets of clients together and they can have the kind of experience they want so that we can keep reproducing that event. And I mentioned that because during our discussion, we're going to talk about probably a couple of things, but one is a very, can be a very interesting part of anyone's journey, which is other people's money. Um, investors. And I don't mean big bank investors. I don't, I, 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 the word entrepreneur almost is like way too big a word. I'm a small business owner. So when I look for investors, I'm looking for people usually not, there's no corporate bank. I don't take loans. You know, I'm looking for people who know me or have worked in this industry and have some sense of what I've done. So that's what I do today. Um, and in producing these events, again, there are a lot of operational aspects and marketing and sales aspects we can absolutely get into if you're interested. But um, the main factor is we try and find um, and what I've done over the years, to your point, and trying to connect dots is look at industries from, um, you know, the National Artwork Association to reality TV. Where is there a white space where business buyers, buyer to, buyer to seller in a B2B environment, where there may be at least a blue ocean to a red ocean or at least a pink ocean um, where I can put buyer and seller together and create a community so that event can keep going. Um, where I got to that um, is a very, as most people, you know, they don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I want to sell. I want to, you know, most people go to business school because they're not sure what they want to do. I didn't do any of that. I just <laughs> left the house at around 18, had one semester of college. And so I wanted to make, I liked making money and I liked working. Like I just liked working. Um, the book I want to write is I learned everything I needed to know about business 
waitressing. Um, because really that's kind of what I did for a long time in bartending. And then, you know, someone asked me if I, and then I was a concert producer for three years, um, with, you know, I was a junior level person, but the senior level people booked the talent and they could see that I could do everything else. And they just gave me everything else, P&Ls, union contracts. I mean, it just, it, 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 and that was the training. Basically, I do the same thing now, except with events, right? So um, I did that for three years in New York City and 2,500 to 5,000 mm. seat auditoriums. I learned how to market to consumers for it, et cetera, et cetera. And um, that ended um, in New York. We have, lar- it's a large major market. And at that time, we only had radio advertising and, and uh, newspaper advertising that sold concerts. And we um, produced predominantly R&B and jazz. And um, the one radio station we relied upon, I woke up one day, went into work, turned it on, and it turned into a country music station. We <laughs> had five concerts running. And again, this was, I, I saw, wow. this is this was an investment just like we do. You know, they invested in buying the talent, renting the hall, all that money is expended in advance. And we had seven concerts running. and on that station and this, you, we didn't get any refund for the advertising we bought. And mm-hmm. that was the end of that company. So, and then I got asked to be a badge waitressing. Somebody just asked me from the table if I wanted to be a badge typist at a association that put on a very large convention at the time, the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers. And, um, you know, I just found the people side of the business. Um, I really loved it. And I just kept moving around and trying different things and, um, you know, and I moved, you know, I finally hit a wall, I guess I moved to different companies and became a show manager and all those things. And um, back in the eighties, there were not many women who were doing it. And um, I hit a glass ceiling and I went out on my own. I just couldn't, I couldn't get anywhere. And um, I came up with a very uh, blue ocean idea and Mm. um, had to go find other people's money and I uh, didn't know how to do that either. And, uh, but I knew people in the industry who would understand what I was trying to put together. I did not try and, you know, family and friends. I, I knew that I needed to push into the industry. I went to some of the largest companies and who, some of whom I, I'd worked for. I certainly even at that point had something of a reputation in the, in the, in the, in the industry that I was in, which was uh, trade shows and events. And uh, they were like, oh, you're 28. Aren't you cute? trying to put this together and, outdoor <laughs> event. and uh, I had had a past of uh, um, somebody who'd hired me a very difficult gentleman uh, who had run a very large trade show and sold it and um, I needed a job and I that's a lot of my career is I needed you will hear me preface it with I needed a job wow. um, and I took it with him he was so difficult to work with, but <laughs> and we launched a show which ended up being my specialty launch because, um, and that's how I found started to understand how to identify blue oceans. Again, I needed a job, and it was always the job no one wanted because it was high risk, a lot, a lot of failure, right? In launch, so people didn't want it, and so I just they kept putting it on my desk and I was like, okay, I need the job. I, I, you know, I'll do it. And then I found that I loved it because it gave me an opportunity to really, um, you know, do all the research, talk to people, what's going on. Is there, is there a, there, there, do you need to know about something new? And um, so he had hired me. We had a terrible time. He wanted to launch something. He had a I think it might have launched, but he had a really bad partner, which he didn't see at first. And so, you know, I, I, through all these experiences, I got to see, I, I feel like I had a front seat with a bag of popcorn to how businesses were run from inside out. I had very good fortune of coming up in a time when people had small companies and you could see how all the gears worked. And, um, but I went to him eventually I knew he had had quite a bit of money from the sale and um, he just looked at me like one big dollar sign. I'll, I will never, I loved him for that. He just he looked at the plan. He heard, you know, the pitch about the industry and he was like, I'm in, you know, and it wasn't a small amount of money. He found brought in two other partners because he didn't want to, you know, first he was like, I'm in. And then he brought in two other partners, but that was very successful. We sold it um, 10 years later for you know, in the millions. So it was, uh, you know, and he was my mentor every day. He did not come into the office, but we were on the phone every day. He helped me with every contract, every, he was a great salesperson. He was a pain in the ass. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, really kind of hard to work with, you know, but much easier to be a part. He was a much better partner than he was a boss. He had a great deal of respect mm -hmm. for me. And eventually his daughter came to work in the business who was also instrumental to its success. She was a very high powered lawyer. And she was like, I'm done. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I'll come work for you for $6 and 50 cents an hour. Wow. And we built that company together really. Um, and so, you know, that's really, and then from there, I, I no longer had any fear. I went to work for corporations and doing similar things. Um, although sometimes in, again, I took, I ended up taking on a lot of roles, even within corporations where they wanted to improve the margin, put together a package of shows. And I was usually that person they would bring on, literally they would have a contract for two to three years, put lipstick on the pigs and make everything good, but increase the margin so they could wow. sell, which meant um, unfortunately being George Clooney and letting go of a lot of people and trying to make uh, organizationally mm -hmm. things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, within this, within again, trade shows and conferences. Um, but I, I say this to anyone who's thinking about being in business for themselves, you know, if you're not risk tolerant, don't do it. You'll make yourself so sick. You know, once I had gone through my own business and seen how many times I could have failed, or I failed at things we tried and didn't end up doing and losing some money and making money, um, I didn't set out to be risk uh, tolerant, but it it really gave me that. And it's very hard to, to be sitting at the helm every day, knowing you're responsible for people who work for you. And, and you have to keep taking risks. There's never a point. And even in my corporate jobs, I never thought of myself as an employee again. I only thought of myself as I am. They've given me this thing that I have to grow, change, do whatever. And I'm going to make, I always, I always counted on the back end because no one ever wanted to pay very well. I mean, they paid well, but you know, a guy would have made, I don't know, 40% more, but I always built in the back end because I felt like I, it was a business. I knew I could do it. Mm -hmm. so, yep. so, so there were a couple things that I heard that I want you to just elaborate a little on. And the first one was, um, when you talk about taking a risk, so it wasn't even just becoming an entrepreneur, you just said, which I think is really great for people to hear that um, you took the job that other people didn't want, because it was riskier, right, but you saw an opportunity and you just took it. Um, and through that path of taking some jobs because you needed jobs right, but you didn't necessarily take the safe one. You know, and, and so I'm, I'm interested to see, like, what caused you to choose those particular jobs? Was there something? Um, because obviously, even though you say you're not risk averse, you are a risk taker. I believe it's a calculated risk. But um, I think I would, I would tell people not to be afraid of taking risks because there was a, a reason that you actually did take them. So I want to get into that just a little bit. Um, yeah. And if I misspoke, but I, I think what I meant was if you are someone who is risk averse, yes, it can be really hard to, to, to be your own, to, to, to be form a company. Yeah. And to be um, totally involved in that, particularly if you have other people's money riding on it. Right. Yep. So, because I never worried about my own money. I only worried about my partner's money always. I mean, I worried about what That's I, of course I wanted to make what I wanted to make, but yep. I was, Bill Gates said, I remember an interview with him from a hundred years ago and they said, well, you know, I know you really want to, and you hear a lot of this in the, in kind of Ted talks and things like that. I really wanted to be a success and I believed in myself or I found yeah. a way to believe in myself. And Bill Gates said, when they interviewed and said, so you knew you were going to be a success, right? And he was like, no, I was terrified of failure every single day. Like somebody was going to eat my lunch. This was back when Microsoft was, wow. and still, you know, the big powerhouse that it was. And I was like, that was as soon as he said it, I completely identified. I was just terrified of failure, and yeah. so that was the biggest driver for me. Um, why did I take those jobs? To be honest, I they always paid more than what I would have made um, taking a safer job, and I felt capable. I just felt capable. I was like, I am willing to bet on myself. Um, I, again, I, I hate to keep referencing people, but I've had so many great little mentors and big mentors. Yeah. 
One of my best friend's father told me very, when I was very in my early twenties um, and I was like, oh my God, I'm being offered something. And it wasn't even a big job, but it was more than I had ever done before. And I said, oh my God, I don't know. And I'm so nervous. And he said, can you do 10% of the job? And I said, yeah, hands down. And he said, if you can do 10% of any job that you're being offered, you can do the whole job. And I will tell you again, anyone taking, I, I, that has never not been true for me. So it be, you know, I, I began a journey of just, you know, saying, okay, what's the worst that can happen here? And I, I, you know, what's the worst? Gosh. So you're making me think about that. Um, play like a man, win like a woman book, but um, men seem to do a much better job of that, right? They're willing to put themselves out there for, you know, very minimal qualification of a particular job that they believe, right? But I think as a woman, uh, you're right. I look at my younger self in particular, because I'm a risk taker. I have my own business. I, I have a lot of the same attributes that you do. I, I'm finding as through our conversations. But um, what I found is that when I was younger in particular, I needed to be 98% plus there, right? For me, like I, I wanted to go in there and here's what I would say to, you know, my, to my younger self, what I would say is I want to go in there and be completely truthful. And so I know that I can nail every single thing on this job. If I can't, I'm out, you know, and, but the reality is, um, that's not where you necessarily end up having the best opportunities for you and the ones that are you know real exciting when i opened my first business you know i did an international franchise i'm flying off to italy negotiating in italian which i really didn't know italian by the way i spoke Spanish, <laughs> oh french and i'm reading all these contracts and somehow i convinced them that i would be able to run this franchise in the southeastern united states and it was an amazing experience um I wasn't even 50% qualified, I'm sure, and I was in my 20s. But anyway, um, I'm curious to ask you about this. Did you always believe that you may go out on your own? Um, or was it something that, um, you know, maybe you thought you were going to succeed, maybe you thought you wouldn't, I don't know. But, you know, how, how did you make a decision to actually go out on your own? And, and what would you say are like, really important things that you would want people to know other than if you're not risk averse right if they're thinking about it what what do they need to think about right if they're thinking about potentially going out on their own so i gave it no thought the first time i, I so much i go back to of what i have done has been um by default and not by design I really didn't have a lot of design. I left school after, you know, college after one semester. I was not, uh, I would not have been voted most likely to succeed in high school. Um, I didn't pay a lot of attention and I wasn't there that much. Um, I just, you know, to me, experiences were the thing that was a thrill, a thrill, the curiosity. Wow. We talked about that earlier, right? Thrill ride was not knowing what I was kind of getting into next. And um, I, again, had hit a glass ceiling. I was fired from a job in a nice company. I liked, you know, having a paycheck. I had just bought a house um, and, you know, back when houses were affordable. And, um, and so I was fired and I was fired summarily. I was fired. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, learned a lot of things along the way. Um, even at that age, I was, as I said, 27, 28, but I'd already been working for quite some time. I'd been working, you know, even in this industry, I think since I was about 21, 22. So um, what I didn't learn was how to evaluate um, whether I, whether, not whether I could do the job, whether what was put before me was doable, right? Huh. Big difference, big difference. I can do anything but I can't do the impossible. And I hadn't yet been able to discern that. So I went to this company, they gave me the impossible. They gave me a list of over 25 shows they wanted launched. I asked for a budget on each one. I asked for all of the tools. Once I got hired, I didn't think to do it in advance. I just thought, oh, I didn't know what I thought. I just was like, oh, okay, sure. You know, I didn't know whether they wanted launched in a year or over three, like, and it turned out they wanted them launched all in one year with no budget. So 
I, so I didn't quit. I was like, okay, let me give this a try. Right. And I was failing miserably, needless to say. So I was brought into the president's office and he said um, that I couldn't show manage my way out of a paper bag, um, that (laughs) I was one of the worst employees they had ever had, and that he was going to fight me on unemployment because of, right. So um, I fought back, I did get unemployment, but um, you know, I learned a very hard lesson that I did no longer ever went in looking at a corporate job again uh, without asking a lot. Uh, You know, I was interviewing Mm. them and I know that's scary. I go back to you when you say about how women, you know, sometimes we go in, we start our lives with a lot of perfectionism versus can I do 10% or 98%, right? Um, We also, a lot of people have fear, men and women, when they go in, they cannot interview the company. They are so worried about you know, themselves about making sure that they're giving the right answers. They're not listening to seek, am, am I going to be successful? Can, do I have a shot at being successful? Shot. And um, so, um, you know, what would people do? So I I, I had nothing, I, I had no place to go. <laughs> and um, a girlfriend of mine who had just been hired by a magazine in the shipping industry saw an opportunity. She saw Blue Ocean not, sorry for the pun, Um, the uh, Exxon Valdez had had the oil spill and everything, all ships had to be retrofitted. And so in the shipping industry, that was a huge thing. No one knew anything about it. They didn't know anything about the regulations. This was back when even credit cards weren't used that much to register. Mm -hmm. She said, I think there's an opportunity here for a conference. And I knew how to do that. And I said, okay, we both put up $250 each and we did everything by hand. And People were literally the day of the conference throwing money at us to get in through the door because it was that it was that hot a topic. I made seventeen thousand dollars. Wow! I've not made seventeen thousand dollars my own money right from a conference ever, and I was hooked. I was like, never again. And it wasn't because I dislike companies. I just, for me, money is a big motivator. And I was like, this is, this is boss. And um, I then began looking just, you know, I, I saw an article in the New York Times about miniature golf and family fun centers, and it gave a number of how many there were. And I, again, having doing launch, I said, oh, okay, there may be a there there. And I did some research. And next thing you know, we launched the fun expo, the miniature golf and family fun center. And it happened to be, we hit it at the right time. They were just starting to expand these indoor ball crawl family fun centers. And, um, you know, we just, we just hit, wow. we hit a vein. And, uh, you know, I ran that for the next 10 years. So, you know, that little experience, that tiny little risk. And by the way, that $250 at that time for me was huge. I was really living hand to mouth, waitressing on the weekends. I mean, I I cannot tell you that was like, we were both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, but I remember stuffing envelopes on her floor at one in the morning, like people tell stories like that, but honest to God, there is nothing about starting a business that is glamorous, that is fun, Mm -hmm. that is easy. That is, you know, if someone thinks they're going to have a better work-life life balance do not it is that that is not part of the equation so no it's not as as one business owner to another <laughs> um so let me ask you this question you have been very successful in scaling your business i mean what um your particular business eight years or so this is now 10 years and ten years yeah. and uh, among other things I know you hold the title of largest events and conference services for senior living, which is a $92 billion industry in the United States. Uh, You know, you're a very noted authority, well-known figure across various industries. And, you know, you really did connect so many dots to get you to where you are today. And what I wanted to get into was this, which is kind of a complex question is, you know, for leaders, you don't have to own your own business for people in their work, in their life. How do you begin to see what patterns might look like? Or how do you understand, you know, I know there's a whole thing about Blue Ocean, but if we just look at patterns, dot connecting and understanding how you, you find and understand opportunities that could be there. Um, what is it that you do? It sounds like you educate yourself, but 
really, you know, is it something that people can learn looking at patterns, looking at connecting dots? Um, is it, you know, I think it's like a superpower of yours, you know, because like, let's face it, if you can see patterns and connect dots the correct way, there's nothing you cannot conquer in this world, right? So I'm, I'm curious to see how you learn to do that. And is it something that's always been a part of what you do? And was any of it intentional? Um, so it is a complicated, you know, kind of a couple multi-part question, but um, one, the industry, the the work that I learned was trained to do, yeah. again, not just launching, but just um, event, the conferences, trade shows for in the business to business world. We had to, if we were in it, not launching it or uh, launching. Uh, and in my, in my early experience, there was a lot of launching. So everybody was, you know, there was just a lot of opportunity. Things were changing technology, et cetera, back in the mid eighties to the early nineties. Um, not to date myself, but I shall. Um, so people were throwing stuff up against the wall all the time, but so we had to learn every industry really quickly from soup to nuts. We had to go, we figured about wow. eight weeks to really read every, the back then trade journal. I would go to the New York public library, they would because my office was on 38th Street and I would spend two or three days if I was being thrown into Unix Expo or Accountants World or whatever. And I would read everything and in, in get get up to speed for that minute. Of, and, you you know, you read all the stuff and you start to see what are people talking about right then and there. Right. So, um, again, I I'm I am curious. I love I love the news. If somebody asks me what I do every day, I get up and I read five newspapers every morning before I even get out of bed. I just it's I I could not I I'm I'm not a doom scroller, but I have to know the news from a bunch of different angles, right? So does it help me in what I do today and smash the the show that I run? little bit sometimes I'll see an article about senior care but it's just that curiosity about like what's going on what's we were talking earlier about supply chains and all of that it all impacts every business in some way and so how are how how am I synthesizing that information and putting it into what I'm working on or the people I'm working with right so I think you know you and I talked about that just having an innate curiosity um but <clears throat> I think it it, it so I I'm going to jump ahead to say to somebody who's younger or starting their career, even mid-career, the very best spot to learn, to begin to synthesize information in a holistic way is from a sales perspective. Hmm. If you've not been in a sales job, if you have not you know, been in a sales department, it, because it is the one place, so remember, I mean, what I, I'm sorry, I'm stuttering a little. Earlier, I said, I had the good fortune of coming up when there were small companies, when no matter what you did, you could see how everything fit together. Mm -hmm. and once you can do that, you can take that information, you know, you're in the retail industry, right? Yeah. And you begin to, you start to really know the industry or the fashion industry. You really know how buyers operate. I mean, no, I'm not in the fashion industry, but you really begin to learn about the industry. Mm -hmm. but to really yeah. learn about how how it how you synthesize all of the pieces sales is that place hmm. you see how the money comes in the revenue how it gets spent how your how your products get served up how long it takes to get them served up um who you have to deal with operationally like that makes a huge difference in being able to scale you know your idea and think okay how is this going to okay it's a great idea uh, people used to always say to me, oh, like you have, a, I have a lot of ideas and I don't know if it's a small package or a big package, but I cannot <laughs> help my brain from saying, oh, to try this, let's do that. Um, and people say, oh my goodness, you shouldn't talk about your ideas. Oh my God, someone's going to steal them. And I'm like, no one will ever steal my idea because no one will execute. No one executes. And they don't execute for a, you know, a couple of reasons. Mm. One is fear of failure, I think. Uh, two is capital capital is you can never underestimate the power of capital and resources uh, in today's world, especially because resources can be very expensive because they're tech technology. Um, they're not just people. So, but the third, um, I think mo uh, important thing is, is they don't know the whole package. Like how do you put together that PL and really know what you're risking? Because you haven't seen all of it, yep. right? You're really yep. guessing. You're putting your finger in the wind. You, I, we all do when we're starting something new. Mm -hmm. But if you know how the whole thing works, you can see where the train tracks are getting off the rails. I, 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 I go back to, I would suggest to anybody who's either thinking about going out in there or really wants to move up in the 
in the corporate world as a leader and as somebody who can sit at that table with confidence in whatever they're, however they're serving that company. And it is, you know, we are all up being of service to the communities we serve, the, the, you know, the, within a work world, the communities we serve, the clients we serve, the companies we work for, um, is to, you really have to understand how it all fits together. Yeah. It's the only way to synthesize information and to hear it and to and be able to be a confident voice. I hear what you're saying about the operational difficulty. Let me just, can you t- listen for a minute from my client's point of view? Is there any way we can tighten this up? Like sitting at a table in a corporation, being able to say that with absolute certainty is an enormous um, uh, talent and many people have it. And some people don't just because they're in today's world, the, the jobs are so bifurcated. Oh yeah, they are. It's hard they? to see yeah. all the parts. Sales, you get to see it all. The good, all how all the sausage is made. That's a that's a great plug for sales, Bailey. Because I um, also when I as you were talking, I was thinking about CEOs and I was thinking about senior leaders. And even if it's only been a few years, they have cut their teeth on sales. Absolutely, so I say that them. all the time. Yeah. I say, where do most CEOs come from? They had a, they they definitely had a fairly you know some base in sales. Yeah. Every single one, every single you know very unless you're like head of HR or head of right. a CFO, those yeah. are the only two that don't. Everybody else has yeah. sales. You're right. Hey, it's Michelle Seeger with Riding the Big Wheel, and if you are enjoying the podcast today, I want to encourage you to like, to subscribe, and to share it with others within your network. We are really excited with the women that we're able to bring to our podcast to share their insight with you. And you can help us spread the word about the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments, please get a hold of me. I would love for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love you to leave comments within the YouTube channel and just get to know you. So connect with our guests, connect with me, and enjoy the rest of your podcast. Um, Okay, so I wanted to ask you about this because you are from the moment I had my very first phone call to you and then when I met you the first time in person, I'm just saying, okay, this woman has found her place. You are extremely passionate about what you do and I I define passion, I'm going to ask you to define it because when I think about it and I'm thinking about you in particular, saying you love what you do, you're convicted that what you're doing is the right thing and you're always looking to innovate and make it better. Um, You know, a lot of people will say, there's no space for passion at work. Passion is what I have for my family. I've I've had C-levels say um, that they don't think passion is is the right word to describe what they do. You know, they're disciplined, they're dedicated. Um, But I guess I spend so much time at work like you do. I want to have, I want to love it every day. So I just want to, you know, ask you uh, to kind of talk to us a little bit about how you keep yourself, you know, impassioned with what you do, what motivates you. And because sometimes, right, business can be tough. We're in a tough business environment now. And you've got team that you've got to inspire and, and keep, you know, uh, on the the same path that you are with keeping moving forward and not being discouraged sometimes. I know we're dealing with that with major sales organizations. So I would love to just, you know, have you talk to us a little bit about your definition of passion and how you keep your passion alive for you in your work every day. So it's an interesting word, passion, because I think it's a double-edged sword. I talked to you about this, that um, sometimes passion can get us into trouble because we think, oh, if I just had that yarn store, you know, because yeah. I love to knit, <laughs> it's all going to be good, right? And I, for me, that's not the kind of passion that I, I believe drives, drives people uh, within their jobs, whether it's a corporate job, their own, if they go out on their own. Um, I, you know, uh, so in the last episode of Succession, which I know many of your viewers will identify uh-huh. for those, and I'm sorry, sorry if it's a spoiler alert, um, but um, Tom Wamscan, uh, who's a very corporate, empty suit, you know, whatever anybody asks him, the, the fellow who's kind of interviewing him for whether he's going to be CEO of the, of the new uh, company, 
and he doesn't even really know he's being interviewed. And he's asked, what kind of employee is he? And he says, I'm a grinder. And as soon as he said that, I thought mm -hmm. he described other things, but that word grinder. And I thought, yep, that'd be about right. So I get up in the morning. I don't go to work. I get to go to work. I, I am allowed to have this opportunity. Right. And I don't say I wake up like highly grateful every morning, but I do get the difference. I'm not going to work. I'm getting to, to go there. And um, also I am, I am passionate about my customers, mm -hmm. my customers and my community, whatever community, again, I've, I've, I've worked in jewelry, I've, I, whatever that community looks like, I am passionate about serving that community. That is my job. It is not, my job is not to get the right hotel. It's not, all of that is a byproduct of serving the community and, and, and making, wanting to make sure that every single customer has a phenomenal experience for in me, for what I sell in experience. That's what, you know, some people sell widgets, I sell experience. So, um, and nobody wants the same experience twice. So I have a lot of thinking to do every year about how to, you know, if I don't even call it up the game, change the game so that it's exciting. And, and, um, and uh, you know, um, uh, it delights and surprises, right? So, um, and there's a lot of fun in that. And so um, I have said to people, part of, part of the thing that I bring to work every day and why I enjoy it or why, I don't know if the word is passion, but why I get up in the morning and go, I get to go to work today is I love exploiting my competencies, right? I get to, oh, I, as a, as a leader in a corp, you know, when I was running larger uh, portfolios or uh, was my third company, I get to exploit. We talked earlier about mm -hmm. wanting to have more time through chat GPT to have that time to do what we love, right? We love thinking about the new idea about how would we execute that, uh, you know, and over years, you do get um, the information you need to be able to really think something through and say, oh, I got to, you know, plan R. And when we get to R, it's just, sorry, it's not going to work. Or, you know, or, wow, I got all the way to Z. Let's give this a try or how, however our, our process works. But, you know, I say to people, be passionate about your competencies because you may, I, I didn't like jewelry. I, I worked in that portfolio for four years. I'm, I have a little on, but like the, the people who were in that community were absolutely passionate artists about jewelry. I got it. I got their passion. I understood their needs. And my job was to serve them. It wasn't to love. It wasn't to be passionate about their product per se. It was to be passionate about them. And I think for all of us, if we can bring that sense of service into the work that we do, it's no longer about choosing family as passion over work. It's really, you know, it's a place we get to serve and it's a place we get to, you know, really um, people talk about, oh, self-care and loving yourself. Well, there's no better way to love yourself than, you know, getting to um, experience your competencies in a, in a positive way. Is that okay? That, yeah, <laughs> that is so interesting. So um, I heard a couple things there and the one is, around really mindset. So you said from the time you wake up, the first thing you said that resonated with me was, oh, I gotta get up and go to work or, oh, I get to go to work today. You know, I mean, just that it's, it's just, you know, it's funny because I talked to my, you know, teenagers today and, and uh, children, they're, they're a little bit different. I think the inundation of social media has some impact on that. But I look at my daughter every day and I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. Why is it like, why is everything in your life a grind? Everything you got the face. I'm like, come on, you're, you know, you're 20 now. You're 20, you got the world, you know, you, you really it's it's a good world for you. You're at a good place. But um, it's it's the mindset from the time you get up, I think and and face your day you know but when do you know when maybe it's just time to walk away is there a time you know i think about people that say i'm staying in this job because i need the security of that job and you know i've got a family and you see people that are in their own grind of um of life but you know how do you take that first step 
of understanding, right? Maybe you, you feel you have to be risk averse um, for those around you, who knows? But um, how do you, how can you begin to think about taking the first step of understanding when it's time to make a change and, or, you know, time to change your mindset? Um, you know, I uh, have two kids in my mid twenties, and um, they certainly don't have a "I get to go to work" mentality. <laughs> so they don't get there in a couple of years either. Um, you, know, you mentioned Tom Wapskan is this grinder, and I didn't. What I didn't say is I grind every day. Like, like you know, one of my sayings that everyone hates in my family is, um, "Why do you think they call it work?" Yeah, like you have to get over that. Like it, you know, you're going to, everyone's going to go in and grind every day. And um, so find those places and spaces where you're, it's your happy place of grinding, right? Like that's, yeah. you know, hopefully, but that does take time and yeah. it takes a lot of experiences. So the one thing I would say is it, it it's hard to know when it's time. I, again, my corporate jobs typically had a shelf life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I actually, I really ended up liking choosing those jobs because I am my, you know, I was a two and a half to three year corporate person. Like I, I marveled at people who could stay at a company for 10 or 15 years. I did not know how in the world they could do it because the politics of all of that was always way out. That, that was just, I couldn't, people can do it. I couldn't, um, because I believed what I believed I was opinionated and, you know, if something wasn't going to work, I, I was going to go in and say, I look, you've been, you know, whatever, because again, I didn't think I worked for them. I felt like I worked for myself, but like everyone who, you know, I was the primary breadwinner. I had two kids. Um, I had a very supportive husband, but I was afraid financially many times, but because I had these shelf dates, I, I had to begin early before leaving, thinking about the next thing. And, um, you know, that's where networks become enormously it enormously, like if you are not building your network every single day of the mm-hmm. people you know and creating relationships with them, not because they are going to give you a job, but because they can just help you move the next inch towards something that you don't even know may be available or out there. Um, I just can't stress that enough. So every day, no matter how locked into a job you feel, every person you speak with, whether they're 20 years old and starting their career or retiring next year, it again, if you're in service to people, you are going to have the attitude of, I love talking to you. You are so interesting. And I may need to tap you for more information. Would you mind if I link in? Because, you know, uh, or however you want that, but I, you know, LinkedIn is my, is my God of, you yeah. know, being track of people, um, <laughs> right? So, um, and, and even today, uh, you know, the, my kids also now understand that LinkedIn is one of the most important business tools there is, right? For just that. And I, I'm, I, I am really trying to stay out of their lives, but I'll tell you their work lives, but I'm, I hate, I say this all the time. Did you, you had a, you had a talk with that person. Did you link in with them today? Because that network is key. And also, um, you know, I understand the fear mm-hmm. and, but I also was pushed, you know, not pushed out. I actually wasn't fired that much, but I had, I had a date stamp. And so, you know, a lot and, and, or uh, actually right before I got into senior housing, I was working on a show that was insane. It was for reality TV. I can't even go into it except there were two full page, I mean, entire full page articles, one in the New York Times and one in the Los Angeles Times that said it was after it had been produced and I produced it, but uh, was a miasma. It was so bad. It was so wrong. It was everything about it. And I kept pleading with them from when I started the job to please cancel this thing. There was no way no way that this could work, not with the, but, you know, I just, I, it was a business to consumer show, which was also not my expertise. So I don't want to blame them entirely. It, the boss was, I can't even, I can't even begin to describe how abusive the situation and toxic the situation was. Wow. And I finally said, I was in my early, maybe late forties, early fifties. And I said, this is it. I cannot be handed a show anymore. That is in an industry that I'm either to be honest, too old for. I can't walk around a show of technology geeks of, that are 28 years old. I'm not going to be heard or seen in a way that may be productive. Not anything against them. I just was realistic. And I think that's a really important thing is to be, you know, just keep grounding yourself 
reading about what people do, looking at all of your uh, talents, the things you like to do, the things you can at least grind through right. and just keep, go to Glassdoor, go to every place you can look to see what else may be a possibility if you want to change what you do or start, you've got to do research. Like there's no way around looking. And so I made some decisions. I wasn't going to work in a company that was going to hand me a show. I wasn't going to work in an industry where I couldn't build a rapport with the people. I really wanted to do something, not that I was necessarily passionate about, but a industry that I could love, like my fun people, my fun expo people. I knew their dogs, their children, like I knew everybody. And, uh, and I, and I loved it on their behalf. I didn't really like amusement parks that much, but I love them on their behalf because <laughs> they were passionate people. And that is an exciting group to work with. So I found I'd never, I had not had to look for a job from an ad in years. Mm -hmm. And in those days, well, not even that long ago, I, I saw this little ad for a conference producer um, in senior living. And my father had been through that process. I knew a little tiny bit about it. Um, and to be honest, I thought I can, if I get this job and it was a way step back, like I was running large $40 million divisions. They were asking for a conference producer, which is not a terrible job, but it's a 25 year old's job. Okay. And I thought, mm -hmm. At that point, I, I still needed to earn a decent income, but I could step back a little bit on the money. And I just bet on myself. And I said, if I do this and it's, and it works and it's what I think it is, which is an industry I, I can understand. I I'm, I'm at an age where I can probably age into it comfortably. Um, better things will not better, but bigger money will come, you know, like I will, I will be okay. And um, that's exactly what happened. I worked for a company for three years that did um, conferences for CEOs. Mm -hmm. I was, I, they wanted a new launch. Um, they did not hire me right away. They did not want someone from New York. They did not want a huh. professional conference producer. They had not had good experiences with that. So it took 11 interviews to sell them on me. Um, I had to find finally, after a lot of discovery mm -hmm. during all these interviews and dinners, and with, they were very about um, the culture and their people, right? Were they going to be a fit? And um, I finally heard the thing that I needed to hear to close the sale, so to speak. And, um, wow. and, uh, you know, it was, uh, and, and it was great. And I knew from the start, I just, the people were so passionate in this industry. I was like, this is it. I love it. It's interesting. Um, I could do whatever they wanted me to launch a show. They wanted me to run some shows. I was happy to do it. Happy to, again, the risk of stepping way back. Yeah. I was just, I, I because I had made a decision and, um, I, it, it it worked. <laughs> I didn't know whether it was going to work, but it worked. That's really interesting. So I'll, I'll just tell you briefly um, about a story of mine, which is, uh, so I owned uh, that international franchise that I was talking to you about. And I did that for about 12 years and sold it. And when I um, was deciding what to do next, now this was back in the early 2000s. And it was, let's see, it was like, a, yeah, early 2000s. And anyway, what happened was when I'm going out to interview and I'm talking to recruiters, like, well, we don't really know what you did. You can say whatever you did. I'm like, but I had all these retail stores and I did this, that. And they're like, well, yeah, but, you know, you're if you're looking at corporate, because what I had decided was I wanted to, um, I, I did the same thing that you did. I started printing out LinkedIn descriptions of jobs. I started looking at different areas, uh, different different resources and putting them in piles because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And what I realized was that I wanted to take all of my experience in retail, which was really small business, right? So I did everything from, had a distribution center, retail channels, retail stores, but also um, other franchises. And so I wanted to take that experience and apply it as a consultant because consulting, I realized I really loved. And so I took a job with a company and with a, a corporation doing just that, small business solutions for a, a national financial services company, a, one of the larger ones out there. And I did that for a few years. And because of that, oh, and by the way, I took the opportunity with them and I took it for less money than 
oh my gosh, when I started consulting with Accenture, like back in the nineties, right? I'm like, are you kidding me? But okay, I took it and I had been offered another job by someone that I had consulted with in the past and it was for a lot more money, but this was small business solution consulting, getting me close into where I wanted to go. So I took the lower paying job and lo and behold, that is what led me to um, being introduced by someone at that company to someone it, who owned, uh, well, the company I'm with now, Sales Globe, and said, you know what, this person, um, the founder of the company, the managing partner, he wants to scale, and I think he needs to meet you. And I'm a partner here. And so we, you know, I'm back to owning my own business. I'm back to consulting and it's all in sales, all the things that I love. So you can, by looking at things, um, you know, understanding what your likes are, what you are good at, right? Um, did I, was I really drawn to financial services? No, but I knew that I wanted to get into consulting and I wanted to leverage my experience in the small business world. Hmm. So you know, that's what we did, brought solutions to to people that um, banked with them, right? So it was all about that. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that story. No, I, I think it's, again, I, I think, you know, as risk is as much as big risk as I don't yeah. want to say smaller risk. Look, making less money with my kids heading off to college was a big deal. Was a big <laughs> deal. And you know what? I sat down with the family and I said, this is how it's going to go. I, you know, I don't know if this is going to work, but the president's nickname that I was working with was Mad Dog, just so yeah. I can tell you how insane he, psychotic he was. I don't have to give you his name. His nickname was Mad Dog. No one referred to him as anything else. I was like, I can't do Mad Dog. And, you know, the other characters there, I can't do it. And I've got to move forward into something that's going to carry me longer. Hopefully this is it. So here's how, well, I think we're going to have to rein in this and that. And, you know, I don't know, you know, like they were used to me taking risks, I guess, at that point. And I'd, you know, I'd been, I'd, I'd done okay. I failed a lot. I just want to keep saying that I failed a lot. If, if failure, yeah, me too. what I started didn't end up the way I wanted, or I had to pivot again, I will tell you that, uh, you know, I don't really look, I, I don't like that word failure. You know, I didn't fail. None of that was failure. It was just the next thing, you know, like I just, yeah. you're just obstacles to overcome. They were just challenges. They weren't like challenges to be met. They were like, oh, blank. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I got to figure it out. I got to get with my network of people who don't even know me that well. They owe me nothing. Right. Except we've had a conversation. <clears throat> I cannot tell you how many times someone I, I barely spoke to once is the catalyst, right, for the next introduction. The people who love me and know me, uh, not that they don't want to do something, but they just don't have anything to help me with. Right. Um, on the other hand, I've had people who've worked with me who very closely who've been like, oh my God, you've got to get her for the next job. So I just go back to networking. Don't stop. Don't ever stop. There is no one who might not be able to help you. And, and it's not just about that, like checking out their credentials and do I want them? What can I, what could I do for them? Would I re, would I be of service to them? I have never turned down a request for someone who wanted to just have a chat. I have never tried, you know, if I can, I have put something forward because it is about paying it forward. Always, always. So that is a good segue into something I wanted to talk about with your work. You know, right now, we're in challenging economic times and I am talking to companies that are slashing budgets. What I really wanted to get into, you talked about networking, but I wanna talk about, you know, we when we think about return on investment of your people, right? What, a lot of times we look at the, at the cost side of things and that's the first thing that goes but we don't look at the impact of the investment. So for example, we have a communication practice and I, one of the things that I've learned is that on average companies um, that don't have a good communication plan, it's been quantified that it's over $12,000 per employee. You can take it and multiply it across your employees. That's what your revenue opportunity cost is that's lost because of poor communication. I want to talk about events and conferences, the type of things that you do that are really intended to bring people together to network and expand, you know, relationships with their peers, which, by the way, is why I started this podcast. And, you know, what what are like 
these um when when people are being told they can't go how should leaders look at an investment in a conference or an event and how as individuals can you you know manager or leader and then how as you and an individual work with your organization on you know just getting the ability to go i mean there are a couple of things that i've heard people do so interestingly i for myself right i i we i have my own association society of independent show organizers yeah. nothing oh, to do with go. <laughs> and um i well, i've been a member on and off for years and years one of the founding members and um i uh i think i mentioned i sold my company last year so i'm i don't know what's going to happen you know i mean i'm gainfully and happily with smash but things change. So I, you, I, I've learned to get ready to pivot. And also I hadn't touched base with those people for a long time. Mm -hmm. I would say all in, it was about three to $3,500, maybe 4,000 to make that investment between flying hotel registration fee, all of the things. And it, it was pinched, right. But I know that the investment in that being seen, um, speaking up, talking to people I haven't spoke to in a long time, telling them where I was at, what had happened with my company, what I may plan to do. Um, it didn't pay off. No one offered me a new job or, you know, said, oh my God, you, you know, but I know that that will pay off, not just for me, but what I learned there, right. By going all the sessions was some great new ideas for smash. So I chose to pay for that myself. Um, you know, the company would not have, um, but I'm in a position to do that. Yep. Here's the thing about conferences. One of the main things I would say to anybody who who wants, you know, who who thinks it's important, find out what the company goals might be behind a conference like that and see if you can align what you're going to do there very specifically with the company's goals and wow. try and quantify that. A lot of people are like, "Hey, but it's great. I meet all these people. I I am Never not surprised. I am always surprised. Let me put it that way. I'm always surprised at how little planning actually goes mm -hmm. into attending a conference uh, or a trade show um, or any kind of uh, mixed event, even if you're going to an evening reception with your peers. Hmm. Like I, I do, I, it sounds um, a little cold, perhaps callous. I don't know how you want to say it. I do not go to any industry event, whatever industry I'm in, if I, you know, whatever, wherever I'm going for work without a game plan, mm -hmm. some kind of game plan. Now I may not accomplish one of the things that I want to set out, but I will tell you by knowing what I want to get done, whether it's shaking the hands of five people who I don't know, whether there's one person at that event I'm going to meet, no matter what, if it takes me 10 people to get me to that person um, and a bigger show, you know, I, I, again, I may or want to look at something organizationally or something mm -hmm. for inspiration. I may need to speak to three companies. Like I, I do a lot of homework and I think um, the people who do that, whether they're deciding to sponsor an event or whether, so, so we have, as I said, a bespoke selling uh, way, uh, you know, uh, method right now, uh, every, because there's no trade show floor, we have to work with every sponsor on what do they really want to accomplish. And so we force them into really thinking about it. There are five conversations around, do you want uh, more branding? Do you want uh, more customer interaction? Like, oh, here's what we have, here's what might work for you. Your company is this size. Um, and, but same thing for attending, like what does your organization feel you can get out? What you, first you go figure out what you think your organization can get out of it. How do you quantify that? And, and then report back, because I'll tell you this, the next time you ask to go someplace and they know you've taken on that responsibility and then that you've accomplished some, or, you know, and, and you can give some dollar value to it at the end, yeah. they'll, they're going to say yes. And, and I will say, I know I've been doing this a long time and I, I'm biased, but there is nothing like face-to-face, -face. nothing, mm -hmm. nothing, can, especially in these times, you know, where everything is technology, even Zoom, which is, uh, to be honest, I'm so glad for Zoom because we get to see each other again. Yeah. That whole 15 years yeah. where all we did was, you know, email and I didn't know what you looked like except on LinkedIn. 
Right. I love, I didn't know any different, but now that we can see each other and talk, I mean, you know, we all, it's just better. And then face-to-face tops that because things come out from people and they talk about things. I always say it's the in-between the sessions chatter. It's sitting at the bar afterwards. Yeah. Drink or not. (laughs) And talking to your, to your, to your peers about things that they open the kimono a bit and, and it just, it makes life easier. It makes networking easier. It makes picking up the phone easier, whatever that looks like for the company. And, um, you know, I just, I don't think anything replaces it on the one hand, on the other hand, there are events that are very poorly run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like any other industry, you know, we have, um, I don't want to say charlatans, but people who, who are not as customer centric, some are really customer centric and they do everything to make sure that everybody gets what they need and some are not. And so you also have to do a great, I think, again, research, you have to really de- determine whether there's enough there to make it worth your while or your company's while. Hi, it's Michelle Seeger, and I really hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Bailey Beacon today. We had such a great time talking. I think it was over three hours. So we decided to create two podcasts out of this. And if you enjoyed it, please listen to the next one for a conversation that I know will inspire you in your professional and personal journey of life. Thank you so much for spending the time listening to this podcast. And I look forward to our next conversation.